Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Sunday, April 17th, 2022. Welcome to the combat episode of the Now Mind You podcast. This is episode 15. Once again, I am TJ. I'm Matt. And we're about to get into it. Now, if you haven't seen any of these fights, any of these events, please feel free once again to pause, check the show notes, and you know, pick up wherever you're at. But in the meantime and in between time, we're going to talk about these events. Uh, we had a few boxing events, which I know Matt is going to cover first. And then, of course, we had UFC Fight Night, uh, Luke versus Muhammad too. Matt, you want to take it away? Yep. So um, what we got here, the first one I'm going to talk about is the DAZN card, which took place in the UK. It was uh, at the Manchester Arena in Manchester, England. Mm-hmm. And we had Conor Ben uh, defending his... WBA Continental Welterweight title against Chris Van Heerden. Pretty much it's like um he's like the local champ basically. He's like like a step or so beneath the real belt for the WBA. Um this was another another knockout outing for Conor Ben. I mean, look, spoilers ahead like we told you. This fight only went two rounds and it barely got through that second one. Um, Chris Van Heerden is a guy who's been around decent amount of time, has a lot of good names on his resume. Um, I would almost call him a gatekeeper sort Mm. of fighter, Um, but he still has a relatively good record, you know, considering uh, considering everything. Um, This guy is 34, you know, South African dude. But he's had some time off, man. He's had a significant amount of time off uh, in the lead up to this fight. He hadn't fought in about two years almost. Um, the last time that we saw Chris Van Heerden was against Jerron Ennis in December of 2020. Um, when's the last time we saw Conor Ben? Oh, the last time we saw Conor Ben, TJ, was in December of last year, mm. uh, where he produced a devastating KO of Chris Algieri. Mm. with that being said he got into it two rounds this was uh possibly not the first southpaw he's had but kind of like the first southpaw he's faced in quite some time Mm -hmm. and that was you know pretty much the point they wanted to throw something different at Conor ben this was his 21st fight his 21st win and this was his 14th KO within those 24 uh, victories. I mean, within those 21 victories. I don't know where I got 24 from. And look, man, they were saying that Van Heerden was going to produce, or not necessarily produce, but going to pr- create a challenge. You know, as a southpaw, he's awkward. He definitely has an awkward style, fights very differently from, you know, most people just in terms of his movement and things of that nature. And mm-hmm. it did not appear to be much of a problem for Conor Ben at all. You know, he came out, he's extremely, if you ever see Conor Ben fight, it's like, it's like watching an avalanche fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's mm. just aggressive and it does not stop. And if it gets, if he gets an opportunity to really open up on guys, he does. And really the second, I even sent you a video of it, TJ. I know, yep, you know I saw it, dude. He just ran through this guy. Relentless. I mean, ran. Ran through him. Got him on the ropes. Pushed him up to the ropes. And, you know, he was able to get off some combinations. Ultimately put him down with a right hand that stopped the fight. Uh, the only real takeaways I have from this is it's time for Conor Ben to, you know, get some some stiffer competition. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Chris Van Heerden, again, I'm, I have all respect for Chris Van Heerden. Even with this loss, you know, he still has an incredible professional record of 28 and three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, just in the world of combat sports to even collect 28 victories with single digit losses is insane. Yeah. I don't care how you want to slice it. You know what I'm saying? That's still a, a pretty tough thing to do. And this is a guy who's been a world champion before as well. You know, mm-hmm. he was the IBO uh, welterweight champion at one point. And, you know, he was an intercontinental champion before he's won, you know, the Pan-African title. This is a guy who has had belts. You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You know, mm-hmm. he has, he's been around the block. But having that time off, 
and coming off of kind of a kind of a whack, you know, kind of a whack loss or really a no contest that he had back in 2020. Um, I just didn't think it was the right fight. The the call these days is that now they want Conor Ben to kind of get another step up in competition, uh, kind of take that next step going forward. And we did get Amir Khan jumping in the ring right after, you know, suggesting that the two of them could have a fight. So wait, hold on. Didn't Amir say he was about to retire? Or am I tripping? No, you're not. You're not tripping at all. You are not tripping at all. Amir Khan definitely, you know, has given is definitely given the thought or the energy as if, you know, this is it. This is I'm hanging would, on my gloves. He would be yeah. done, but you know, it's looking like he wants to fight still. You know, it Fair was enough. it was funny though when he got in the ring, the crowd was definitely not happy to see him like <laughs> at all. They booed him immediately. Um, but you know, you never know. I think it would be a good especially on paper, I think it would be a good fight for Connor Ben. And I mean, they have a hand, they have like one or two similar opponents. Um, they both have fought uh, Samuel Vargas. However, you know, again, even you know, if you know how Conor Ben fights, you know, Conor Ben dispatched him in one round. Mm-hmm. He got Samuel Vargas out of there in the first round, mm-hmm. and you know that was a decision win for Amir Khan. But congratulations to Conor Ben. Hopefully, you know, this can transition into something bigger for him. And I definitely look forward to seeing, uh, you know, seeing him continue the legacy of his name and things like that, because he is the son of another fan favorite and another uh, former world champion and a pretty important boxer within uh, British boxing history in Nigel Ben, mm-hmm. um, who to this day, if I'm not mistaken, I pray I'm not, but to this day still holds the domestic pay-per-view record in the mm. UK. So that I think that's still, you know, that's saying something. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Conor Ben's the son of Nigel Ben, and, you know, he's putting on for their name, putting on for the city and all <laughs> that. So, hey, I had to. It was low-hanging fruit. <laughs> then the next event um, that I'm going to also go into is we had Errol Spence Jr., against Yorinas Ugas. Now, just to give a little bit of background on these two guys, uh, Errol Spence Jr. is a guy who has two titles currently and within the last few years has not really had the best string of luck. And essentially what I mean by that is he had a car accident where he was flung from his Ferrari. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, after, at a, at a you know, during a late night, but he was flung from his Ferrari at like three o'clock in the morning mm. in 2019. And this, you know, pretty much threatened to end his boxing career. And he was able to bounce back from that, you know, about a year later, uh, really over a year later, he was able to, uh, to come back and he had a return bout against Danny Garcia. Uh, he was able to get a, you know, get a good decision victory and just kind of get his feet back under him. And here in right after that, he ended up having an eye injury when he was in camp for a fight he was supposed to have (laughs) with Manny Pacquiao. And there was an eye injury that he sustained in sparring where in the buildup he was talking about when he was sparring, he he heard a pop. And when, yeah. And he was starting to, his vision and his uh, eye was starting to get dark. Like he felt like a veil was going over one of his eyes. Oh. And yeah, man. So he was able to, you know, he pulled out of the, yeah, he was able to save the eye. He pulled out of the the Manny Pacquiao fight, which this is all very important as to how we got to this fight. Because what resulted in him pulling out of that fight was Gordinas Yugas coming in last minute as a last minute replacement and he fought Manny Pacquiao and not only did he fight Manny Pacquiao he retired Manny Pacquiao Mm. um so that was a a huge huge win for uh Yorinas Ugas and it put him in a situation where he uh was now in a title unification with Errol Spence Jr. for three belts so he had his WBA title. There's a WBC title that Errol Spence had, as well as the the, the W 
uh, I mean, as well as the IBF title that Errol Spence also has. And this was a crazy fight, man, for as long as it lasted. They were at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Um, Yorinas Ugas is a man that was a fantastic amateur boxer, fantastic career so far. Uh, Cuban guy that tried to defect from the country six times before he was able to get it to stick. Um, and he was able to, you know, able to move to America and really make a, a life for himself and a name for himself. And like I said, just last year, last summer, in fact, he retired Manny Pacquiao. Mm-hmm. And that I think that says a lot in and of itself. Mm-hmm. With this said, came back into this fight, title unification with Errol Spence. And first two rounds of the fight, it's pretty even. Both guys were damn near throwing mirrored shots. It also was funny because Errol Spence Jr. is the southpaw and almost all Cubans, like most Cuban boxers are southpaw boxers, but Yorinas Ugas is or The exception to the rule. <laughs> yeah, so it was interesting seeing a Cuban fight a southpaw, but the Cuban was not a southpaw. Right. Um, and I felt like the first two rounds were relatively even. You know, they were throwing a lot of to me, a lot of the same shots. You know, I throw a jab, you throw a jab. I throw a jab to the body, you throw a jab to the body. A lot of that. A lot of them mm-hmm. feeling themselves, filling each other out. And once we got to round three, that was over with. Uh, Errol Spence started throwing a lot more combos, and he was starting to find a home for his left hand. And I mean, left hook, left upper, mostly left hooks, though, starting off at this point. And going down like the last kind of 10, 15 seconds, of uh round three excuse me going through the last few rounds of uh last few seconds of round three there's a decent amount of back and forth uh pretty much kind of stood toe to toe a little bit Mm -hmm. and then going into round four errol spence was really starting to work his combinations a lot better was going up and down and he really 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 started to like he was really starting to ramp up his volume Mm. and we're starting to notice in round four that we were starting to see some swelling on Jordanus Ugas's right eye which would you know obviously be right in line with that left hand mm-hmm. um that he kept throwing at him and you know Ugas was still in it he was you know definitely getting some counters off but it was starting to turn into a thing of he couldn't get the timing down on the counters and he would be a little late or he just wouldn't get a chance to throw them at all just because of the volume and things like that from Errol Spence. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much once it got to round five, Errol Spence was taken over. He was kind of just having his way up until a pretty interesting thing that happens around six. Um, they're kind of fighting, you know, a little bit of a phone booth action real close. And Ugas, if I'm not mistaken, hits Errol Spence with like an uppercut and it knocks his mouthpiece out. Mm. And Errol Spence had, man, he had like a brain fart moment where his attention then shifts to the mouthpiece. Uh oh. And he turns and looks towards the mouthpiece and he kind of turns a little bit as if he's waiting for the ref to break the action. And Ugas blasts him with a one two that sends him, you know, pretty much kind of like flying back to the ropes and he rebounds himself off the ropes and kind of tries to get back into it. But he hurt Spence, you know, because mm-hmm. it was a clean one, two head was turned, everything like he got Protect it all yourself off. at all times. Exactly. Um, and that was around. I felt like went to Ugas. Ugas really he kept control for the remainder of the round. That happened probably with about a minute left and mm-hmm. in that, in that uh, sixth round. And man that must have really pissed Errol Spence off (laughs) because in round seven he just started bullying Ugas around the ring like just smacking him all over the place like he was all over him he was starting to snap his head back with the left hooks and then that uppercut was really starting to it was starting to find a home the left uppercut was starting to find a home you were seeing Ugas's head kind of get snapped back and about a round or so, not a round, but around 30 seconds or so into round eight, the referee temporarily puts a pause on the fight, asks for a timeout so that the, the ringside physician could take a look at 
Ugas's eye because the swelling was really starting to starting to get bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's allowed to continue to fight. And as the next two rounds progressed, you know, Errol's volume continued. His volume went up, 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 up. And he was just landing more and more punches. And we were seeing less and less punches being thrown uh, from Jordi Nasugas, which ultimately in the 10th round, the fight gets stopped by the doctor. Uh, the referee in round 10 just seeing the amount of punches Ugas was taking and things of that nature, he steps in and was like, hey, let me have a doctor look at this. And, you know, Ugas couldn't even open his other eye. His eye was swollen, completely shut. Mm. And with that being said, the doctor called it, and that was ultimately the end of the fight. Um, It just really – I thought it was a good choice. I thought it was the right choice that was made just because – if we're just going, if I'm going to call a spade a spade, right. And we know this, like you can't leave it up to the fighter. The fighter's yeah. going to always say, no, let's go. Right. Most times, you know, obviously it's not guaranteed, but nine times out of 10, the fighter is going to fight. So you can't leave that decision to them. And mm-hmm. the doctor didn't leave the decision to him. And with that being said, Errol picked up his third title. And that ended the fight in round 10 uh, via Dr. Stoppage, which we go on to find out Errol Spence had fractured uh, Jordan Asugas' orbital bone. Oh, that, oh, that's always a rough one. Yeah, man. So that was, you know, that was what brought an end to the contest. Uh, at the end of the fight, man, even with the stats, you know, Errol Spence outlanded Ugas 216 punches to 96. Dude. Over the course of those, you know, the course of those rounds. And I mean, he was throwing, man, Over whether those shots were getting blocked or not. Yeah, yeah, definitely more than twice the output. He didn't, Ugas in 10 rounds didn't even clear 100 punches. Right. You know, which is still, that's saying a lot. Um, so with that win, that sets us up for the, the title unification bout that, pretty much everyone has been waiting for for damn near like the last like three maybe even five years between Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford mm-hmm. um, so hopefully that can that can happen uh, I wish or Jordan Asugas a speedy recovery um, you know so hopefully he can get back in there um, Errol Spence Jr. remains undefeated you know and he's going to carry that undefeated record into this fight with Terrence mm-hmm. Crawford you know if they can finally get that get that fight signed and that's another undefeated guy up at welterweight you know Mm -hmm. and so hopefully we can get uh this huge title unification bout that's really what i'm looking forward to um in in all honesty Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was the only one of the only driving factors behind me supporting errol spence jr not to say i don't believe in errol spence not to say that i'm not a fan because i'm definitely a fan of errol spence jr but it definitely drove me to support him in the fight because I just did not want any more hold up right. on Terrence Crawford and Errol Smith Jr. You know, if Errol loses to Ugas and there's a rematch thing and all that, and I don't have time for that. I'm ready to see these two fight. So we'll see what happens, man. You know, we'll see what happens when Errol Spence takes his 28 and 0 and puts it up against Terrence Crawford's 38 and 0. And we'll yep. see what we get on the other side. Yeah. Um, but that's gonna pretty much conclude the the boxing half of combat sports. TJ, would you like to take us into the UFC? Yes, last night, uh, at least at the time of this recording, uh today being April 17th, this was Saturday, April 16th. We had UFC Fight Night Vegas, Luke versus Muhammad 2. Uh we had well, we mostly paid attention to the main card. Uh, mm-hmm. We had Munir versus Lizette. I'm sorry, Munir versus Liz. Lizette versus Losa, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Sabatini versus Laramie. We had uh, in the women's bantamweight bout, we had uh, Bueno Silva versus Yanan, right? Uh-huh. Uh, we also had Baeza versus Fialiu. We then had the co main in Boralio versus Omar Gajiev, right? And then we finished it out, we rounded it out with the main event. Luke versus Muhammad. Um, so let me start us off with uh Munir Lizaz versus Ange Losa. I don't think I pronounced the first name correctly, but there's a little bit of context there. 
because due to internet issues that were plaguing me since I got back to Chicago on Thursday, I had to like set up a new modem and everything. And I basically caught the last round of Lazez versus Lausa, right? Uh, but mm-hmm. what I saw, well, first things first, right? Lazez, 34 years old, uh, recently made his debut. Uh, well, not that recently, but he only has like two fights in the UFC. Uh, as yep. of this fight, this was his third one, right? Uh, mm-hmm. First fight, his debut, July 15th, 2020, was versus Al-Hassan. Got the W via decision. Unit, or decision, I don't think it was unanimous, but he got the decision. No, he got a unanimous. He oh, he got, got a unanimous? All right. Then yep. uh, next fight was in January uh, January 20th, 2021, where he lost to Alves by KO slash TKO, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so needless to say, he was probably spurred on by that last L, right, to kind of work hard in this uh this fight yesterday right <clears throat> now yeah he's uh he's a fight island pickup oh nice dude on the yeah, that other was, that was that was, that was during the pandemic <laughs> yeah. yeah man that's that how you got that. i mean most of his fights have have been in the bubble dubai or in abu dhabi gotcha. like, i'm even outside of the ufc so gotcha him, gotcha. him getting that first one that was a that was a, a fight island joint that he well, got and he got signed off of that on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have Losa, right, who is mm-hmm. literally making his UFC, I emphasize on UFC, not that this is his first ever MMA fight, but his UFC Octagon debut with this fight night. Um, so like I said, I caught the last round, uh, mm-hmm. and basically it was Lazez unloading on Lausa for like the whole round. Uh, it was mm-hmm. like straight up kickboxing. Both gentlemen were staying in like tie boxing range, uh, but Man, I have to say, Munir Lazez was catching and winning most of these exchanges, right? And and he was. This fight is actually one of the fights I did catch. I caught this one like all the way through. Yeah. Um, the Munir Lazez fight. Essentially, he was out striking him the whole time. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like every round, both guys were both guys went for ta- two takedowns apiece. Neither of them got him. Mm-hmm. Um. But he outstruck him completely. Like almost all the strikes he landed were significant strikes. Yep. And for the first two rounds, they were kind of going like one for one on the strikes, and he wouldn't really let his hands go. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until that third round that he was throwing full flat. Like he just threw cautious to the wind. It was like fuck it combos. Right. Like he just looked at his command list and was like, oh yeah, let me do this. <laughs> <laughs> um but like dude he uh he got that unanimous decision uh oh yeah it was all him. There, were, there were no questions there um but i was gonna say if you want to talk about wait hold on, hold on hold on i was trying to look at the sides if you want to talk about out striking somebody Whew. let's go into the next fight right? right we had pat sabatini versus tj laramie uh let's just get into a bit of their stats right uh mm-hmm. sabatini i believe fighting out of philly uh the commentators were joking that he's paul felder's favorite fighter but yeah. uh he is 31 years old laramie a little bit on the younger side prospect out of canada who is 24 and i believe had to take a two-year layoff due to quite a few injuries right so this yes. is like literally the last time laramie fought was in september of 2020 and he lost on his debut to minner right uh mm-hmm. was it milner no, I think it was Minner, right? Um, for Sabatini, this dude is on a streak. Uh, he has yet to lose in the UFC, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, last three fights were all wins. He had Lutz, decision win in uh, November 2021. Emers, submission win in August of 2021, right? Young Connelly, heel hook move. Dude, Connolly, uh, decision, unanimous decision in April mm-hmm. of uh, 2021. Made his octagon debut in the UFC in February of 2021. So he's literally on, I guess you could kind of call it a meteoric streak. Like he's been, yeah, he's had three fights in the same year. Like, like he's, PJ, dude's been he active. Put he's a been heel hook work. on this man in the first round. <laughs> like, that's like, a first round heel hook he got off on dudes. Like, that's it. wild. Like, he's, <laughs> and then I'm gonna just read the stats real quick before I get into my notes. But just so you guys are aware, a hundred and twenty-four total strikes thrown yeah, by Sabatini about it. compared to twenty-two strikes thrown by Laramie. And if you actually looked at them in the octagon, you would you could you could easily argue that Laramie was the more imposing 
intimidating looking fighter amongst them. And let's be let's be Definitely real too. Like this wise, is a yeah, yeah th- this is a featherweight bout. So we're talking like what 145, right? Um like the like <sighs> Sabatini just outclassed him. I, I gotta say it. Uh like round after round, it was essentially the same story, right? Meet in the middle, lots of measured aggression, right? Uh mm-hmm. Sabatini would go for the takedown, but you know, Sabatini is known for being a grappler. Right. Um, so Laramie did his homework and you would expect that to Laramie's credit. He did a good job of neutralizing a lot of the cage wrestling and a lot of the takedown attempts by simply being smart about, OK, he's going for the cage clinch. Let me get my underhooks. But Sabatini, like every single round, man, he does this thing that uh, I also felt uh, I think who was it? I think uh, Muhammad could have benefited from a little bit of this, too, in his a few of his rounds versus Luke. But Sabatini does this thing where he's good at tripping people off of the cage, man. Mm-hmm. Like, he will have your back. Like, you know, that typical position where the one fighter is fighting off the takedown with their back up against the fence or, like, it's either side of their body against the fence. They're monitoring their feet, watching for the potential of knees to the hamstring or making sure that they're not putting themselves in a position where their momentum or their center of gravity can easily get tilted over. But what Sabatini does is when he's on the back, he might be working for back control, but he will literally once uh the person's energy is going in one direction he will trip them and angle them in the opposite direction so while you're trying to get your bearings he's tripping you you're falling again and while he does that he gets even higher or tighter to your back um it was just crazy man it's like he outclassed him on the striking got so many takedowns or at least was able to reverse takedowns quite a bit like he there were so many situations where he um got uh setups for the rear naked choke there were like toward the end of the 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 match he was able to like get to some leg lock attempts he was able Mm -hmm. to get to some triangle attempts some arm bars it was pretty wild uh i want to say too like it could have ended in the first round because right uh he shot a double leg at sabatini but he wasn't really able to hold i'm sorry sabatini shot the double leg at laramie but um laramie wasn't like he wasn't really able to hold laramie down um but in like toward the i want to say halfway into the first round sabatini throws a muay thai teep which is a uh, it's very similar to a front kick but he throws it with his toes and he hits laramie right in the solar plexus crumples laramie and to his credit sabatini did what he was supposed to do he went up tried to capitalize on it but it kind of backfired a little bit where uh, I should say Laramie was able to get a top position inside of the inside of the grappling exchange. But it's like if you were if you were judging based off of just the first round, it could have gone either way. But I think it would have weighed a little bit more towards Sabatini just off the strength of him crumpling his opponent. Um, Yeah, it was just dominance from Sabatini, man. It was dominance. Like you look at it and you look at the outcome it was one of those situations where one fighter didn't even look like they were in a fight. That That's all I got to say about that. Uh, yeah, man. 100% dominance from Sabatini. And he was disappointed in his performance. You could see it in his face. Uh, he wanted a finish. He wanted a finish. He's one of those fighters that low-key beats themselves up for not having what they perceive to be an exciting fight. But there was mm-hmm. nothing in this fight that was boring. Um, he did a splendid no, job. No, man, it was, was, awesome was actually um but yeah like he was disappointed but man it's what it is uh congratulations to sabatini now laramie who's only 24 years old yes this is his second l on his uh on the start of his ufc career but it's not over right it's not over we've seen that happen before time and again people don't have the best start but it's not the end of the world bro it's only two fights hopefully he recovers he you know gets his mentals together and he can get back in there man um but it's what it is with that being said let's go on to the next fight which was in the woman's bantamweight decision we got Mayra Bueno Silva versus Wu Yanan again this is woman's bantamweight and fun fact about Bueno Silva this is her moving up from I believe was it woman's featherweight mm-hmm. um she was moving up from woman's featherweight but I mean moving up well she'd be moving down she was moving, moving up sorry. from strawweight Yes, you're right, you're right. She was moving yeah. up from Charlotte. Thank you for correcting me. Because, like, she started, like, before she even entered the UFC, she was a bantamweight already, but then she decided to move down to Strawweight. But it's what it is, right? Uh, she's back at bantamweight now, and who's there to greet her? Wu Yanan, a.k.a. Mulan, right? 
Now, mm-hmm. Bueno Silva, a few fun facts. 30 years old, right? Last mm-hmm. three, she had a win, a decision, unanimous decision win off of Fiorot, Fioro, uh, in October 16th, 2021. She mm-hmm. had a loss to De La Rosa by decision in February of 2021. And she got a dub, her last dub, were, or not her last up, but uh, she got a dub off of uh, Romero Borea uh, mm-hmm. by submission in September of 2020, right? Mm-hmm. For Yanan, she's 25 years old. Unfortunately, her last three fights were all L's. She took an L to Edwards uh, December of 2021 and L to Noe by decision. So uh, Edwards was a decision and Noe was a decision in August of 2019. And she took an L to Mueller right in uh 2018 she's only won one fight since she's been in the ufc it was in 2017 that was her last win 18 Um, she lost in 2017 she lost in 2017 wait what yeah yeah no 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 they these fights were back to were in the same place she uh she won when they did uh the beijing card uh, with Francis Ngannou and Curtis Blades, she really? won that fight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, also, I just want to. Oh, you're wait. right versus Mueller. Yeah, and I right. just want to throw no, no, one no, other no, thing in there. Uh, bueno Silva got into the UFC by doing something I didn't know even existed, but uh, the Brazilian Dana White Contender Series. Really, I did not know this. Dana White's um, Contender Series Brazil from 2018. That's how Bueno Silva got to the UFC. So, correction. Uh, no, Yanan did win against Mueller back in 2018. Matt, you yeah, you were correct. Uh, that was my fault. Um, I, I think I just misread it because they had already included the stats from last night, so it kind of pushed everything yeah. down. Um, but, all good. So, I'm going to just straight up say this. I thought Yanan got robbed. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why I say this is because, yes, Bueno Silva was throwing everything in the kitchen sink every time she tried to strike at Yanan. But Yanan was the active fighter throughout. Yanan maintained the same pace. And if you watch round three, Bueno Silva was basically gassing out toward the end there. Now, she tried to trap uh, Yanan into getting her to like, come on, man, let's swing and bang type vibes, right? But Yanan was staying true to her game plan. Yanan was listening to her coaches. Now, maybe you could argue that Yanan's punches didn't necessarily pack a ton of heat in the sense that they weren't necessarily enough to stop Bueno Silva. But I don't know, man. Watching that, watching those three rounds, like I would, I would say round one was a big round for Silva. Um, because she did like immediately let Yanan know, I was like, hey, respect my hands, right? And she had those calf kicks, but round two and three, I would give to Yanan because, like, once Yanan was getting into her groove, and again, she maintained the same pace throughout, she was mixing it up good, man. And like Dominic Cruz pointed out too, how she moves her hands in such a way where it's like, you don't know where the strikes are coming from. And I saw a lot of that. Uh, she mm-hmm. was getting some clean one twos off of uh, off of Bueno Silva, but again, Bueno Silva. Like here, I'll even look at the the stats because I got the UFC website opened right now. Um, let me see recap. Bup, bup, bup. Significant strikes by position, but how many strikes? What they're saying that you not only threw seventy five strikes, oh, but only thirty two percent of two hundred thirty two strikes connected. I was gonna be like, bro, right, here, yeah. So you not threw like two hundred thirty two strikes uh bueno silva through 153 but apparently 88 strikes landed versus your non 75 but i don't know man i don't know to me to me it looked like your got robbed i think she was the active fighter that's neither here nor there i'm not a judge but that's what i felt i mean your um, was able to get the takedown yeah you know yeah she was she actually was able to get it so is it's, it's what it is. I mean, and but the thing is, so if we look at our patterns, right, uh, for Wu Yanan, what does this mean in the bigger picture, right? This is like her third L, third in a row, third in a row. Now, granted, she's only won one of her five since she's been the UFC, granted, right? Mm-hmm. Her last what two L's were by decision. 
This L mm-hmm. was a decision, and but it got the accolade of fight of the night, right? So I don't know if that'll play a factor in whether or not she stays or gets released from the UFC, but it's like she's also only 25, so I don't know, man. Uh, but if patterns are any indicator, it might be a wrap, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, yeah, with that being we'll said, what happens? Yeah, with that being said, let's take it to the next one, right? We got. Miguel Baeza versus Andre Fialio, right? Mm-hmm. Now, we covered Andre Fialio's, uh, I say Fialio, Fialio's last fight uh, on the Now Mind You podcast. It was him sure versus did. Michelle Pajeda, right? Now, little did I know that that fight was Andre Fialio's uh, debut in the UFC octagon. <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. when I was looking at his fight stats, I was like, wait, you mean to tell me that Michelle Pajeda fight was his, like, first that was his debut, bro. Crazy. Um, and he went the distance with who you could consider to be like a phenom in the like an up and coming phenom in the welterweight division in terms of like just sheer excitement watching his fights. Right. Um, this was also a welterweight bout, but just giving some stats. Right. Uh, Fialio, 28 years old. Baeza, 29 years old. Um I didn't know Fialiu was 28, man. You could I, you could have told her about that dude's at least 30. <laughs> like, you know, he's just, mm-hmm. just based on his looks. But, like, apparently, yeah, Baeza was an older fighter. But going into their stats, right, with Baeza, like, he's somewhat been on a bit of a – a bit of a skid. Uh Look, he like, like he he didn't have some tough ones. He's yeah. had some tough outs, and I'm just saying that based off of like looking at who these other guys were that Miguel had to fight. Right, right. Like he came in on a good note. Like you know, look, TKO and Matt Brown is impressive. He he had two performance of the nights in a row. Right, and he lost a decision against uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio. And um, he got knocked out June. by. By, but to, yeah, and that fight was close. That fight was super close. I watched right. that fight. That it was damn near a mirror match. That fight was insane. Right. It was like no wrestling in that fight whatsoever. But then he ran into that Chaos Williams dude. Right. Uh, Bro's name is Chaos. Let's uh, just start there. Yeah, probably should have avoided him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> his name is what? Okay. Well, no. Is there are there any other fighters we could know? Oh, uh, well, all right. Uh, but, but like needless to say uh this fight with fialiu also ended in the stoppage yeah man i will say this it was like it was only one round um but the round was like kind of even in that they were both telling each other way early on respect my hands and we know that fialiu like based on the research we had done going into uh the last episode where we covered his fight for Spahada, right because this was the the fight that also um like uh kind of was the uh impetus for us to have that conversation of like the era of the specialist kind of being over right because fialiu based on his pedigree is somewhat of a specialist when it comes to striking like he's got that boxing pedigree i believe his parents come from like a taekwondo background so striking has been in this dude's life since he was born um baeza though also a striker let's be real um but yeah, they were saying to each other, respect my hands. But Matt, there mm-hmm. was an exchange in the clinch where Fialiu just, I think like Baeza had got him with a very clean one too. And Fialiu did not like that. He took that personally, like on some MJ vibes. Uh, clinched him up, did the patented Cormier. I'm going to hold you in that clinch and throw uppercuts. It was one uppercut. Two uppercuts, sends homie reeling like he was about to collapse. Then, boom, right? It was just like uppercut, then a hook, ground and pound. It's over. It was Ooh. over. Uh, this is oh Yaliu's first UFC victory. This got performance of the night. <laughs> like, like this, this is his second fight in the UFC octagon. He got performance of the night. And, and to be fair, too, it's like he definitely – came in with the mindset that I got to avenge that L I took. Um, and boy, did he do that. Uh, homie made a statement, I'll say. Uh, Man, for real. This is a good fight. 
Like it, it was the only stoppage of the card. If we're being well, I mean, technically the co-main, <laughs> right? Technically yeah. the co-main, but like yeah. in terms of actual legal emphasis on legal stoppages, this was it. Uh, speaking of which, let's just get into the co-main, right? We have Caio Boralio versus mm-hmm. Gaji Omar Gajiev. Uh, let's let's just get you a hundred points for saying <laughs> that name because you are a braver man than me. I it wouldn't have been me. Not that it couldn't have, it just wouldn't have been. Let me tell you something. On my notes, I misspelled this dude's last name several times. That each time I misspelled it, it was a different way. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, bro, the D Z H just threw me off every single time. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, shout out to the commentators. Shout out Dom Cruz. Shout out Daniel Cormier. And I believe was John Anik with them. Maybe. Yes. And no, then, no, no, no. Yeah. 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 And then uh, of course Megan O'Levy coming through every now and then too. Um, but like, yeah, man, shout out to them for getting those pronunciations on point. Uh, because they help your boy out. <laughs> uh, this was a middleweight bout. And apparently, I didn't check out the prelims, but this was the second time that we had a controversial. Uh, finish that uh that night now mm-hmm. it, it was kind of well here funny thing about this right for boralio age 29 and omar gajiev age 29 this was both their debut in the ufc octagon uh if you look at their stats on the ufc page they ain't got no ufc fights before this this mm. was both their their ufc octagon debut and they're promoted to co-main now, to be fair, they're both exciting prospects, but I'm like, huh, how did they get? I'm still like, how did they get Comey? Because that's kind of wild if you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Comey on a fight night. But hey, it proved to be exciting. I'll tell you that because listen, um, I will say Boralio low key kind of reminds me of like a not as swole Paulo Costa, but like, you know, like mm-hmm. in terms of his build, like homie, it, it, homie's not skipping any workouts, right? Um, no. But right off the bat, you see that. Boralio has more of that point fighter style, like very linear, hands low, uh, very similar to Wonder Boy, but not as versatile as Wonder Boy or Raymond Daniels, but like kind of in that same vein. And like um, their stance is very slanted, right? They make a point of having that shoulder, that lead shoulder pointing at you. You might see a lot of stance switches going in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Omar Gajiev just... My my boy wait like wastes no time. He's like literally throwing the kitchen sink at uh at Boralio. And to the point where like he hits him so hard, gets Boralio to kind of fall, but you could argue it's a bit of a slip. But he also grabs an ankle pick, right? Mid combo and uses that to a takedown. But Boralio gets a sweep and reverses the situation. Now he's working from the top. Now, fun fact about Boralio, this dude trains with Damian Maya. Um, if you don't know who Damian Maya is. Uh, the dude is low-key a legend uh, in jiu-jitsu and in MMA. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it was Damian Maya who squeezed his opponent so hard, he squeezed blood out of his opponent. Uh, Yo. Just to give you an idea of like, what type of jiu-jitsu Damian Maya is working with. <laughs> like, like this, this, that's neither here nor there. But, um, but basically, to kind of sum this up, Boralio was dominating this entire fight. Uh, Omar Gajiev was doing his best, and you can tell Omar Gajiev was going in like, "Hey, I want to hurt you," because at some point it was low key on some, um, on some. I was trying to think the UK card. Uh, but what was our boy name? The boy, the dude who like swung so hard he slipped, and I thought it, I thought he got uh, dropped. Oh, a little bit. Uh, no, not Kamza. It was the UK card, a Tom Aspinall card. Uh, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I'll tell you in a second. What was the name? What was that card? It was Aspinall versus uh, 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 Volkov? Or... Yeah. Aspinall versus Volkov. I'll pull up that card and then we can figure that out. Arnold Allen. I found it. It was yeah. him versus it was him versus Dan Hooker. And no, like, Arnold Allen swung so, so hard. hard. We <laughs> thought he got dropped, but he just swung that hard. But Omar Gajiev, dude, swung so hard, bro. He slipped and he gave up his back. 
in round two. And so uh, Boralio capitalized on that and was just working from the back, working from the back. We saw, I mean, we're seeing this a lot lately where it's like, I guess the game has just caught up to the rear naked choke in MMA where it's kind of really hard to get one. Uh, I think we forget sometimes, even if we have experience as martial artists or like combat sports uh, practitioners, that when you have MMA gloves on, that shit ain't easy. Uh, and it's like, all they got to do is like either, you know, pinch your hand under their armpit or grab one of your gloves. And it's like, they effectively kind of stopped your attempt at the RNC. So when you set that up, it's got, it, it's not easy. It is really not easy. Um, but yeah, Boralio straight domination, but then in round three, something happened. Uh, Boralio's got Omar Gajiev in the clinch, right? And actually, so fun fact, both fighters got points deducted, right? Uh, Omar Gajiev before this got a point deduction for an unintentional groin strike, like off the clinch, knee to the groin. Uh, and that halted the action for a little bit. And the referee deducted a point. And then later on, we see um, Boralio. So it's like mid onslaught. It's a clinch situation. Unfortunately, according to him, he doesn't see uh, Omar Gajiev's hand touch the canvas. And he goes for a massive knee to the side of Omar Gajiev's head. And it is deemed an illegal knee. Now it's what it is. It's what it is. I can't. I can't speak for Boralio because I wasn't in his head. I can't speak for the refs or the judges because I'm not them, right? What did but, Peter Yan have to say? Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you know Al Jermaine was watching? That's all I'm gonna say Man. there. Uh, but. But yeah, it, it halted the fight yet again. They brought the doctor in. They brought the translator in because Omar Gajiev is not a native English speaker. He is a Russian speaker. Um, but essentially, it gets determined that he cannot continue because his head was just feeling fuzzy, as it would. Um, and uh, they decide to, instead of calling it a DQ, uh, they leave it up to the judge's scorecard up to that point. And of course, it was a unanimous decision. Now, uh, Boralio shows some good character and says like obviously he did not want to win that way um you you could argue too that maybe he didn't see the hand go down and you know is who knows what's going on in your head i mean it's a fight dude it's a fight and to be fair it's like you gotta protect yourself at all times but i believe it was either dominic cruz or cormier who brought up the point like you know you're bringing that hand down because you got to watch out for the knee but you also got to watch out for any potential submissions that could be out there um but it's just it's just what it is man uh Boralio got the unanimous decision he was dominating that fight but there could have been potential for a dq there but um it's what it is but now let's get to the main event we have vicente luque versus Bilal muhammad uh welterweight bout uh i'm gonna give a little bit of context and i'm gonna let you jump in man on this one we got that five round fight right uh so man. Bilal Muhammad, 33. Vicente Luque, 30, right? Muhammad has been on a bit of a win streak. Now, if you look at his last three bouts, minus the uh, latest one, which was a no contest versus Edwards, they might have to run that back. Uh, the accidental eye poke is what it is. But mm -hmm. he's got the win against Stephen Thompson, right? Got that uh, unanimous decision in December 18th. Huge win. Big name, right? He's got that win against uh, Damian Maya, right? Uh, same huge. thing. Unanimous decision coming in through uh, June 12th, right, of last year. He was mm -hmm. active last year. Like, he fought once per quarter, right? Like, four times last year. That's saying something, right? Especially if you mm -hmm. consider just the total MMA takes on a body. Like, homie's been working. Um, Vicente Luque, right? Last three were all Ws. Got that sub on Chiesa, right, in August of 21. Got a sub on Woodley in march of 21 same thing names got a knockout on brown right not matt brown but he got a knockout on brown in august of 20 randy brown yeah yeah like it's like they're both coming in like off of some wins uh they got a few common opponents as well yes um, they do he Bilal muhammad got a decision off randy brown mm -hmm. um they both have unfortunately taken an L to Leon Edwards. 
Uh, one was a decision. The other one was more of a no contest. I mean, you know, you the can fight kinda, just didn't even really like get a, a chance to start. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. And obviously, Vicente Luque has beaten Bilal Muhammad once before. Right. But this was back in 2016. And like times. Matt and I talked about this before the fight, but like that wasn't even necessarily the narrative going in. Now, although Muhammad does mention it in his Octagon interview, is like, all right, he had to get over that hump. It wasn't like they weren't beefing like that, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you want to take it away, man? Yeah, man. So we had uh, Vicente Luque going against Bilal Muhammad as the main event. Uh, Bilal Muhammad has, man, he's been to UFC since 2016. He's mm. been there for a while. Uh, longer than you would than even I thought he had been there, which in a lot of ways kind of mirrors how long Vicente Luque has been there, which mm-hmm. was uh, 2015, but like the end of 2015. Uh, what I saw a lot of early on was there was a ton of movement from Bilal Muhammad. And if you ever watch Vicente Luque, he has a lot of, lot of lateral movement. Uh, but if you ever watch Vicente Luque fight. He's coming to fight. There's nothing else you need to worry about. If you don't have to worry about this guy not trying to strike, you don't have to worry about this guy trying to play for points. He is there to win the fight. He is there to fight you. Mm-hmm. If you stand in the cage across from him, he got something for you. He's gonna give you what you came there for. Mm-hmm. Um and to be fair, I could I would say that it could be the same could be said for Bilal Muhammad. Um, not necessarily in the exact same way, but certainly in the in the ways of he's coming to fight. You know, he usually is the guy that presses forward. So it was interesting to see Vicente Luque pretty much kind of forced a um pretty much forced a role reversal where he kept Bilal Muhammad up on the cage. Now, knowing Bilal Muhammad's wrestler, you know, he wants to get on the ground. Yeah. He's going to want to wrestle. This isn't a wrestler jujitsu guy. This is a wrestler. Um, And excuse me, with the amount of forward pressure that Vicente Luque was imposing on Bilal Muhammad, it seemed as if that was going to cause a problem for the wrestling. And Bilal was able to pretty much at least once every round get a takedown and get a significant amount of control time off um in the first round there were a lot of strikes being thrown by Vicente uh just pretty much keeping him on the back foot and he did a very interesting thing where he was consistently stand switching and Bilal Muhammad pulled something out of the out of the out of his bag which mm-hmm. also was stand switches something that he doesn't very he doesn't do very often so but, it uh no I said but <laughs> he did but it this time he was doing it this time so body it, kicks man man it was benefiting him a lot every time he switched he was finding that body kick whether it was landing on Vicente Luque or it was causing Vicente to block it was slowing down that pressure slowing down that momentum keeping him off him just a little while longer um always he was always I felt doing just enough to stop Vicente from just recklessly going in after him. And I don't mean, you know, I don't mean it in the sense of like, he was afraid of Vicente or like he didn't want to engage with him. He was playing the smart game. Yeah. Yeah. He, he had to, he was fighting to win. Yeah. You know, but without fighting in a, you know, I hate to say it was, but I'll say, you know, without fighting in a cowardly way, Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't trying to win a points fight. He just was not trying to put himself in the position he did last time. Because again, the last time they fought, he was KO. Right. Um, TJ, uh, TJ, you, you jump in here. Um, listen, man, it's like, like Matt was saying, like, just, he fought smart. Now, a lot of the rounds mirror each other because it was honestly just Muhammad listening to his coaches as a fighter should. Right. Yeah, if say, you walked away from that fight and came back, it would be hard to tell if the round had changed yeah, because it was like Muhammad oh, was just on his bike, man. Side to side movement, body kicks, one twos, and Muhammad got the takedown, right? Like mm-hmm. 
uh honestly low-key similar to uh Masvidal versus Covington uh in that it was repetitive but I think not the same bad taste in my mouth that <laughs> like like Masvidal versus Covington led me or gave me because of um just the character of both individuals uh however in this case yeah it was very similar some very like picture perfect similar rounds but in round three there was almost a momentum shift we have to we have to state that Luke did tell Mahaz like hey I do still have the ability in these hands to drop you at any given moment oh boy um, he, 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 he heard him bad he pulled him out foot. of that plan like he pulled mm-hmm. him out of that momentum he had out of that rhythm he had like it was less of a Muhammad kind of riding the edge of the octagon, more like, hey, come back to the center, homeboy. We need to talk with our fists. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost ended up being uh, a different fight, like to the point where you even saw at the end of that round, I believe the cut man and uh, the corner were just kind of looking at, I, and I even think the doctor were kind of taking a look at his eye because it looked like it was bugging him a little bit because, mm-hmm. dude, uh, he caught him with a short left hook, and that was just... Very similar to how he got sat down last time. But rounds four and five, like, Muhammad sets to the plan, and, hey, he got that dub, man. Yeah, man. I mean, I felt like... I felt like he did everything he was supposed to do. Exactly. Everything that he should have done. You know what I mean? Even if you look at the numbers, he outstruck Vicente Luque. Now, granted... He completely outstruck him during those moments when they were on the ground. And one thing I would like to see Bilal Muhammad really add to his game is more submissions or even at least he, submission attempts. He had that rear naked choke attempt, but Luke wasn't even threatened by it, if we're being 100% honest. Yeah, I felt like it was more of a thing just to move his hands. Bilal's definitely more of a just beat you up ground type of guy. Yeah, he's a ground and pound beat you up guy. And that's not even me, you know downgrading him anything he just right. you know that's the type of guy he is right um i felt like i want i just want to see more of that i'd love just as a fan to see more more of a submission game from him because he gets in a lot of very advantageous positions correct um when he's on the ground what round was that that vicente hit him with that hook was that I believe round, it was around four? three three or four yes yeah, three because that was on there was a momentum shift oh um, my god i thought it was over me too. Honestly. I was like, oh, this might be history repeating itself. But Muhammad I mean, said no. <laughs> yeah, Muhammad held on and he really he he did those veteran things like getting those takedowns close to the end mm-hmm. of the rounds. Or if he oh, did get man. a takedown, he just kept it. We got it. we gotta talk about that smooth ass outside trip he had. Cause that was like mid recovery. Like, yeah, mid recovery. Still got that takedown. Wrap that leg up. That was get that smooth, dude on the ground, dude. bro. Yeah, yeah, but like, that was smooth. Like, cause that could that round could have very well gone to Luke, but with that tank down, I think he salvaged it for himself. Um, no, like it was one hundred percent a unanimous decision. Um, yeah, I, the right guy won the fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got nothing else, man. I think this brings us to a close. Yeah, that brings us to a close for this week's uh, combat sports episode. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. You know, please be sure reach out to us on Instagram, you know, uh, Reddit, Discord. YouTube, Discord. If you want that Discord, hit us up on Instagram. We will get that to you. Yeah. Um, But just in general, I thought that this was, I just, I appreciate you guys supporting us. Yeah. Um, and I, I was about to say, I feel like I'm echoing TJ here. Uh, I, I really appreciate the support. We really appreciate the support. Um, and please give us your feedback. You know, how do you guys feel about us splitting these episodes up? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think it's a good idea, but you guys got to let us know what you think. Also, um, for next week, what we will be covering is the UFC card for Amanda Lemos versus Jessica Andrade. Mm-hmm. And the for boxing, we will be covering Tyson Fury versus Dillian White for the WBC heavyweight title. Um, yeah, that's going to be a banger. Mm-hmm. So with that said, I'm Matt. Uh, you can follow me at Matt Hambrick, M-A-T-T-H-A-M-B-R-I-C on 
all social media. TJ, what about you? I am also Matt. Sorry, but <laughs> I'm TJ. You can find me at uh, Tus4 underscore skate. That's T-U-S-S-4, number four, right? Underscore S-K-A-T-E on Instagram. All right. We'll check you guys out next week. Holla at us. Peace out, y'all. Have a wonderful evening, week. Hope you had a happy Easter if you celebrate. If not, hope you had a great Sunday. We'll see you. Peace. Peace.